Well, thank you for uh, coming back after the meal. I know you probably got uh, the full belly thing going, uh, but uh, we want to get started on this because this is a really cool topic and a really great panel to talk about it. Uh, so my name is Brent Leary. I'm going to be moderating this uh, panel on AI's role in shaping customer engagement. Uh, for the next 45 minutes, we're, I'm expecting a really fun, lively, informative conversation. I mean, we actually got Albert Einstein on the panel, so that really uh, kind of livens things up a bit. Uh, but we know all five of the folks here uh, are representing major companies who are doing uh, specific, really interesting things when it comes to AI and customer engagement. Um, just a, a quick uh, down the line introduction. Um, the one well closest to me is Michael Wu. Dr. Michael Wu is the Chief Scientist for Lithium Technologies. Next to Michael is Rajan Krishnan, who's the Group Vice President of Applications Product Development for Oracle. I, I, I want to say, I almost really just want to say Albert Einstein. <laughs> you could, you could if you want. Uh, Marco, I want to make sure I got the name right, Castellana? Castellana. I was close. Man. Close enough. All right. Albert Einstein, uh, he's the VP of Products for Salesforce Einstein. And next to him is Kishan Chetan, who's the Principal PM Manager for CRM for Microsoft Dynamics. And last but certainly not least is uh, Volker Hildebrand, who is the Group Vice President for SAP Hybris. Thank you to all of you for being a part of this. Thank you for being here. Before we get started, um, this is going to be kind of a, uh, we're going to take this wherever the conversation goes thing. Um, but for to kind of set the, uh, the uh, presentation and set the direction, I'm going to ask each one of the five folks here to give us, well, give us a little bit of your personal background, just a quick piece, but then take a couple of minutes, each of you, to kind of talk about what AI means for your particular organizations, your approach to it, and how you envision this working for your customers. Just a couple of minutes each down the line. So, Volker, you want to take it, and then we'll just go one by one. All right, sure. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've been with um, SAP or SAP Hybris for many, many years, um, more than more than fifteen years actually. Uh, out of the uh, based out of the Bay Area, uh, or Palo Alto office, uh, I've done uh, covered in my CRM and e-commerce life. Commerce, marketing, sales, service, pretty, pretty much everything in, in that area. Um, and I'm now responsible for uh, the strategy at SAP Hybris. And a uh, quick statement on, on AI. Um, AI's role in shaping modern customer engagement. So my, my thesis is AI is definitely gonna change CRM as we know it, and, and how you engage with customers forever. Um, and my prediction is we're, we're all gonna be witnessing the rise of the machine, uh, <laughs> but in a good way, hopefully. And I mean, there's pros and cons always, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get into some of that uh, also during the discussion. Thanks. Perfect. Hi everybody, my name is Kishan Chetan. I am uh, part of Microsoft. I've been with Microsoft for about five years now. Uh, and I am responsible for some of the key product areas in CRM, our sales, our marketing, our gamification, and business process type areas. Uh, before that, I worked in uh, you know multiple different of the CRM vendors, including some of the folks, uh, including companies of some of the folks here. 
so I have a good sense of what the space is and what the uh, what the area is. Uh, you know, I, I actually, 20 years ago I did AI before it was cool. It was one of the things that uh, in grad school we did, you know, object, uh, multi-objective optimization and at that time it was really hard to get this stuff to work. Uh, but now I think people get it, people understand it from all sides, both from a customer side, consumer side, and from the technology I think to be ready. So I think, I think it's a great time for you, and I do tend to agree with Volker. I think there are definitely uh, other questions to answer and uh, issues to resolve with, but I, I, I fundamentally think it's really a revolutionary thing that's here to stay. All right. Hello, I'm Marco Castellana. I am VP Products of Einstein at Salesforce, which is why I'm wearing this, but also, yes, I am bald as a naked mole rat after here. <laughs> and so this is the only time I get to have hair. So why am I at Salesforce? Actually, why am I at Salesforce again? This is my second stint at Salesforce. I was one of the early developers of the Service Cloud product at Salesforce, and then I went off into startup land and I did some machine learning stuff. And why I'm back and why I'm excited about what we're doing with Einstein is we have just reached an inflection point. We have a critical mass of data and metadata in the cloud. At the same time, we have a critical mass of compute capability. And so we can apply this massive compute to the data that we already have, and we can make AI work much better than it ever has before. And that's what we're doing uh, with Salesforce Einstein. It's AI for business. Hi, my name is Rajan Krishnan. Part of Oracle, Oracle Product Development. I've been with Oracle about 17 years now. Came to Oracle as part of the Siebel acquisition, where I ran uh, industry product strategy across uh, verticals. Uh, this time is different with, with AI. AI has been in this hibernation for about 20 years. Now there's a coming together of, of cloud, access to data, large volume data sets, unimaginable, you know, even not so long ago compute capabilities, global compute capabilities with our infrastructure distributed across 21 uh, data centers around the world, bring this all together and it opens up a realm of possibilities that did not exist. Yes, there was one-to-one -one marketing, but this truly takes it to the nth degree where it's possible to deliver on that promise, but at the same time, we need to be careful not to get ahead of ourselves dial back a little bit, look at what options truly exist from where we start, and where we can potentially go. We could go in a hundred different directions. The, uh, this is all exciting stuff. Great time to be in AI uh, across the board. And not just within CRM. I'm speaking both from a CRM CX standpoint and broader enterprise standpoint. Great. So I'm Michael Wu. I'm the chief scientist at Lithium. Uh, so a little bit of background. Um, so I basically do research in the brain. I come from academics background. Uh, I, my PhD thesis is modeling how the human brain process images, how we see things, uh, using machine, machine learning and statistics and so on and so forth, the fun toys. Um, so um, that gave me a, I would say, like very interesting kind of background to tackle this problem with AI because we've been actually using AI, but uh, back then when I was doing my PhD. But back then we will only be able to compute um, AI that are, I mean, using deep network, I mean, not really deep network per se, but just newer network that are about two to three layers deep, right? And then that was it. And now we can actually do tens and maybe hundreds of layers deep, right? which is still no, nowhere close to our brain, which is, I would say, billions of layers deep, right? So, uh, but then that actually give us a, 
uh, kind of doorway to kind of how we use AI to solve business problems. Right? And the way we look at, at AI at Lithium is, is that AI is simply an automation of data-driven uh, decisions. And that's how, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to understand it a little bit more, I would say if you look at any piece of data, and uh, typically it helps you make some decision, right? And that, those decisions, if every time the decision, the, the machine's decision and your decision is exactly the same, right? We can actually automate it, right? Why do we need you to look at the data and then say that, okay, I agree with the machine every single time, right? So if you automate that, then it becomes AI, right? So some examples of that would be, uh, for example, the self-driving car, right? You've been looking at a GPS for a long time, right? But you could, they could recommend you a route, but you could say, I'm not gonna take that route. I'm gonna follow my own route. But so humans always have the ability to override what the machine recommend. But now, um, if the re machine recommendation is so good that we agree with it every single time, then we can actually just automate it. And then now we will have self-driving cars to take us to the destination, right? And another example in maybe in finance is like, analytics have told us how to optimize our portfolio, how we should invest. But we as human could always decide whether we will follow this recommendation or not, right? But if now, uh, if this, prescription of uh, action is so good that it, we agree with it every single time, then they could just invest for us. That's why we have robo-advisors today. So that's the way we look at AI and how it could uh, benefit the business. I'll, just, uh, I'll start with uh, Volker and then whoever wants to jump in, jump in. What's the biggest misconception that your customers have with what AI is and what are their expectations? Where, where are their misconceptions between what it is and what they're expecting? Well, I think it, it really, really depends. Uh, there, there are a number of customers who kind of feel like, hey, we have no clue what it is, but everybody's doing it, so we need to do it too. Uh, there's definitely that, that kind of category. Um, there, there are others with uh, very, very high um, expectations. Um, and I think this is really where, um, when we're talking to our customers, where we have conversations about, um, how, how much can you actually, going back to what Michael was saying, uh, how much do you actually wanna automate a certain process or, or whether it's a decision-making process or, or other things? Um, because there's, uh, there's definitely a lot of use cases and it's not necessarily the case that you know, whatever AI comes up with as, as a result is 100% accurate. And, and so there's a certain confidence level um, that you know, the, the predicted outcome, if you will, um, is, is the right outcome. Um, if this is uh, in the range of 70 or 80%, um, that might sound good. Uh, or even if it's 90%, that may sound, sound great. But then you need to look at the use case. If you use it, for example, to um, uh, score leads or opportunities, you know, 90% accuracy of which opportunities you should be focusing on in sales wrap, it's a pretty good outcome and you're probably doing a better job than you did before. Now, if you, if you uh, have a use case where it impacts directly the customer experience, like in a service scenario, um, if the answer of an artificial 
intelligent um, uh, virtual agent as an example, uh, if that's a 90% accuracy, it's probably pretty bad because it means that one out of 10 customers will be pretty pissed because they get the wrong answer all the time. So I think, I think that's, that's really the important thing to understand um, what's the use case, what am I trying to achieve, and how much can or do I want to automate? Can you follow up on that? Yeah, sure. We've seen uh, customers really all across the spectrum when it comes to AI, uh, all the way from customers who think that AI means something like a robot running, even physically running, running operations for them, to customers that have some experience and probably uh, some more sophistication as it relates to the, to the data. So customers who've had long-standing experience with, with data, and, and, and speak for Oracle here, with the Oracle Data Cloud, we're talking about really <coughs> large, large volume data sets. We have five, five billion profiles, uh, about three trillion dollars of, of transaction data, about 715 trillion data points added on a monthly basis, and about 110 million uh, US households sort of picked up by that data. So customers that are used to uh, data intensive processes, whether it's marketing, targeting, uh, and, and so on, moving to the next phase with data, data science, machine learning, decision science, to further automate and, and, and predict those, those offers or actions is one set of customers. The other set of customers who probably don't have as much ex experience with, with data and as a, as, a, as a, by extension, data science, the expectations with AI are, are all over the place. But, but fair to say that, you know, as, as, as we move along this journey, we've come from a, a, uh, a framework of hindsight with, with just the OLTP systems to a bit of a insight-driven model with analytics, and where AI can go is, is a foresight model. So the journey across the board would be, say, moving from hindsight to insight to ultimately foresight. Let's talk about chatbots. Volker, Volker touched on chatbots. One of the main misconceptions today is that chatbots can just work out of the box. But the problem is, you know, training is the new coding. So nowadays, like, to get these AIs to work, we need them to have the data. And to get a chatbot to work, you basically need to have successful conversations talking about the same stuff that your agents would be talking about with your customers. And those are hard to come by. I mean, a lot of times they're not recorded, they're not actually in text format, and also who is labeling them as being successful? How do you know this agent just didn't give a totally wrong answer? So, you know, labeling and training data sets is now one of the most difficult parts of doing AI, is actually being able to train your AI to do what you want it to do. So from, I mean, I think from my experience across working with different customers, I think there are multiple dimensions of which uh, there are misconceptions from a customer perspective. One, I think there are classes of customers who either think it's too easy or too hard. So you have the, there are some who have this gate, the gates rule that where they essentially overestimate what can happen very soon and underestimate what comes later. So I think there's that one class. And then there's a second class which just thinks it's too hard. Then the second one, uh, second dimension is depending on how much experience that customer or that industry has. So if you look at financial services or if you look at B2C uh, communications, 
they tend to have a lot of experience with data mining and a lot of like, expertise as well. So those industries tend to get up and running much more quicker. Uh, the third dimension is who's actually running the AI project? Is it just somebody in the business or do they have the right people on the, on the team as well? And that actually drives success to a great extent. I think there's a lot of expectations that everything is shrink back. It's much easier than it used to be, let's say, 15 years ago. But not everything is shrink back. As, uh, as Marco was pointing out, training is important. And having the right people on your side is important. And the third one, I, I had a very interesting discussion. I had a discussion with a head of sales. And we were essentially speaking the whole day about AI. And at lunch, uh, and actually more towards the evening, his only question at the end was, is it just going to take away my job and all of our jobs? So that, that thing, while he's been told by his management he needs to do it, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a hard thing to get over. So how do you get the change management and how do they understand that this is actually better and it'll help him get a better bonus or her a better bonus rather than take away their jobs? I think there's a change manager that one needs to go through and that's a misconception we need to go through. But imagine, imagine that, I mean, do you, you would say, if I were you, I would say, hey, did Office 365 take away your job? Right, because that's, we saw the same thing when we moved to cloud, remember, Absolutely. like 10 years I mean, ago. And our answer to that is very simple. It actually will increase your bonus, and these are all the reasons why it will. Yeah. And they absolutely get that. But still, there's that, there's that thing that people have to go through. But by and large, I think uh, with all the assets that we have to take data and make that super easy with, with Microsoft, and also the ability to get all these large amounts of data, manage it, uh, have different cognitive services and much better reporting and embedded experiences, I think people have made it much easier. I think the immersiveness of having it available in the app is, I think, driving a lot of the adoption as opposed to something which requires a large IT project. I'm going to throw this out to whoever wants to answer it. Uh, from an organizational perspective, what are the skill sets that are required to be successful from an organizational perspective with AI? The skill sets, what environment, what kind of culture do you really need to put in place to take advantage of AI from a customer engagement perspective? Wants, whoever wants to take that, go. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, just go left or right. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll take a crack at this. Um, so the way I see, you know, how AI could affect customer engagement is that like it can provide a more consistent like experience, right, without sacrificing scale and speed, right. I think there's some. So, you know, if we use a human interaction, you know, usually that's probably, you know, a, a good experience, right? The, a human will help you solve a problem like uh, the way you want it. They, they'll understand what, what your problem is. And that's typically a good interaction, but usually it's the, the technology in front of it or, you know, that's actually the burden, burdensome piece. But that's actually very hard to, to scale. Sometimes, you know, the, and humans are actually not very consistent all the time. Sometimes we're affected by our mood. Sometimes, some days we're a little bit edgy. You know, some days we're in a good mood, right? So, uh, so our ability to, you know, maybe solve a problem for our customer uh, is varies from individual to individual. Uh, maybe our technical expertise is different, right? And also, like, even within the same individual, it's very hard for 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 us to to provide the exact kind of similar or, or, or tone of speech, right, uh, to a customer, right, so all the time. So with AI, you know, we can actually provide such consistency, right, and, and we could do this without actually sacrificing scale and speed, right, so that's the this thing that I see that, you know, how it can affect engagement. So in terms of what uh, we're seeing, uh, how companies could, could approach it, 
first of all, what is the, the business problem we are trying to solve? What is the question that AI is going to help you answer? Is it, is it effi more efficiency for an existing business process, or is it about delivering a business process that does not even exist today in order to improve ultimately customer experience, customer satisfaction, driving revenues, number one. And, and, and number two, as, as, as we approach that, is it, is it a developer-intensive solution or is it a solution for the business user with decision science and data science built into the, the AI application itself? So I agree with Kishan in, in the sense that application-led AI delivers more bang for the buck because of the democratic usage and, and more number of users taking advantage of this powerful capability right from the get-go. So it's, it's what business problem you're trying to solve, who's going to solve that for you, and, and are, you, are you willing to make that investment and potentially even fail? And we've seen these journeys in, in other parts of enterprise computing, whether it's just you know initial CRM systems or analytics, there is a wave. Some companies get it right. Some companies go through multiple iterations before they get it right. So it's really you know the the, the sponsorship, the tools, the target users, all of these coming together, and, and and also having a degree of of human control <coughs> over the over the system as opposed to allowing the AI or, or the machines to run amok. We saw what happened with high frequency trading and and the flash crash not so long ago, a few years ago. So as long as you have you know, adult supervision for what the machine can do. There's there's better better opportunities uh, before uh, and and not being so much diso uh, uh, dissolution with with, with with the solution. Yeah. I see what my team is focusing on right now. If we take a sort of a, <coughs> a <coughs> excuse me a minimalist design aesthetic, and the idea is that you know whereas up to this point you really had to be a data scientist. Like Dr. like Dr. Wu over here, you have to be a doctor kind of data scientist to be able to to work with AI. Or uh, Albert Einstein. <laughs> or Albert Einstein, right? <laughs> Who, you know, nowadays we would call him a data scientist. Uh, but you know, my target is squarely uh, the Salesforce administrator. And the Salesforce administrator doesn't necessarily know how to write code or even a SQL query, but they know how to add fields and stuff to Salesforce. They know how to use the declarative interface and the point-and-click interface to make workflows and things like that. And because we're in a cloud system, as I said earlier, we've hit this critical mass where the data is here, the metadata is here, we know it's a phone number, we know it's an email address, we know all these things about the data, and that allows us to automate much more of the data science process that has traditionally been manual. And so increasingly, you'll find, I think from us and also from some of our friends up here on the stage, that the profile of user that's able to use AI to set up artificial intelligence methods is changing, and it's going to become uh, there's going to be a larger subset of users that are going to be able to use it. So, so I, from one point of, uh, I wanted to make is like everything else. I, I think if you're looking at an AI project, it, it's important to make sure that you have the right expectations up front. What is the objective? I think you're referring to the the scope of the project. I think that's very important. What's the scope of the project and what are you trying to achieve by that and make that pretty straight? I mean, I had a really large consumer products company which essentially set out to say they do this AI and I'll deliver a 1% increase in revenue. And the time frame was very limited and that's always a very significant kind of challenge. So the expectations, what are, what's the objective? Make sure that that's being monitored and deliver to that expectation in a very structured way. I think that helps quite a bit. 
The second one is uh, where I've seen AI type projects succeed a lot and what's the culture of the organization? Is it agile? It, can they actually, essentially, if something is suggested and that suggestion is pretty cathartic in terms of what you need to do, will the organization be able to change and do they have the management kind of uh, support to make those kind of changes? And that helps quite a bit. If your data suggests that you need to make changes, can you actually go and adopt that? And then also the skills of the people in terms of who's on the team. But I'd say, by and large, what our goal is to keep it in the software, make it super easy to do. So it removes some of the technical complexities to a great extent, but don't underestimate uh, the typical change management, project management that one needs to do to run a project. I would, um, I would like to add one thing. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of focus on, and everybody was talking about it, kind of automating things. Um, I think that's only half the picture, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, yes, AI can definitely help uh, uh, fully automate very repetitive tasks, whether it's simple things like checking accuracy of travel and expense uh, uh, reports, or, or accuracy of invoices, or um, you know, providing answers to you know, comparatively simple questions, um, and and you know, to a certain degree, you can you can automate it and and also scale. Um, I think what's important in that context um, is the the business business outcome, which in some cases, you know, checking accuracy of control and expense, for example, yeah, it is really, I want to automate, want to reduce costs, and, and yeah, let's face it, you know, want to replace human beings with machines and have the human beings do other stuff. Um, in, when it comes to things like customer service, um, I think if you take the approach of, oh yeah, let's automate things and, and kind of try to cut costs and deflect incoming customer service calls to the virtual agent, that's actually the, the wrong approach. You gotta think about how how you can actually improve the customer experience. That that should be the objective. Um, is this going to be more convenient for my customer? Is it gonna provide a faster answer? Is it gonna provide a more reliable, accurate answer as uh, Michael was, was pointing, pointing out? Um, so, Focusing too much on kind of automation and, and efficiency is the wrong thing. In fact, I do believe that the, the, the greatest potential of uh, machine learning or, or artificial intelligence uh, may, may not be in the, the automation, but actually in teaching humans entirely new ways of thinking. I think that's, that's the real potential that goes way beyond smart automation. I'm gonna start with the resident data scientists here. We, we, right. we hear terms, we hear AI, we, we hear machine learning, we hear deep learning. Did, could you just help us understand how these terms are related to each other so that you know somebody doesn't think that one is the other or are they all the same? Okay, so um, very simply, Machine learning is just a, a process of using data to come up with a model. Okay, so traditionally, when you, and, I mean, we have business analysts or you know any data analysts, right? If you're trying to make any prediction, you create a model, right? And traditionally, these models are created kind of based on our expert knowledge, and we believe these things should be weighted this, this way or that. You know, this term should be weighted more. So you create a model out of your expertise, right? And but 
machine learning is uh, simply take another approach, more of an inductive approach. And then basically said, I'm not going to assume anything. Okay, I'm just going to plug in a lot of data and then let the data constrain my model, constrain the parameter on my model. Right? So that's essentially what machine learning is. Right? Essentially, you're using the data to help you define or create the model. Right? And so that's machine learning. And what's the other one? Like deep learning is another one. Deep learning. Uh, so deep learning is basically a class of uh, neural network. So as I mentioned before, um, I actually used neural network before. So typically, like these neural network have layers of they call, they call neurons, and it's trying to mimic what our brain is doing, right? Our brain have just hierarchical processing. At the lower layer of our uh, uh, brain, basically, it process very simple features, and then as they go up on top, it process more and more complex features. So traditional neural network can only process maybe two to three layers without with the computing capability that we have and the data that we have. But now, like I said, uh, these days we could compute on the order of like tens to hundreds of layers. So th that's why they call it deep network because there are many, many layers. There's so many deep layers. Deep is essentially deep learning is essentially deep neural network. That's what it, st it stands for. But okay. you know, one key difference there. So when you know, yeah, machine learning, it's divided up into statistical methods and deep learning. One key difference is that deep learning neural nets they really don't tell you why they arrive at a certain conclusion, whereas statistical models do. So that, I mean, but then again, deep learning neural nets are much better at doing things like computer vision, natural language, unstructured data processing, uh, and statistical methods are better at structured data. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's not always the case because yeah. uh, <laughs> you wait, you're going against Albert Einstein. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, Einstein I have to say that you know there's something. <laughs> so. Uh, it is harder to make sense out of the model out of neural network because in neural network the, the number of parameters um, is much bigger, right? So you have to do a lot more work to tease out what the what the uh, when you when you train a neural network, right? Uh, versus you train a model, a statistical model, right? The number of free parameters in neural network is typically many many times bigger than a, st st a traditional statistical model. So it just means that you have to do a lot more work to understand it. Right? It's just not it's not as obvious. Okay, this is this parameter. This this term is weighted by weight. Right? It's it's not that simple. Right? It just it's much more convoluted, and it's not impossible. And in fact, I've written like academic papers, peer review, and published on how to do that. And that's actually it's actually doable. It's just harder. It's not as obvious. So you can't understand why, but it's harder. Yeah. All right, so we, you just talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of things that everybody is thinking about and trying to understand. So how does that impact CRM technology? How does that get integrated? Why don't we, each of you kind of talk about, from each of your company's perspective, how you're approaching taking what Michael just laid out and how that's being, how that's impacting your CRM technology. So maybe yeah. I could take a start. Yeah, okay. I could. So I mean, so our perspective is that like no matter ultimately, no matter what technology you use, whether it's AI, machine learning, whatever, it should give a better customer experience at the end. Right? I think somebody already mentioned that. Right? If that's not the end goal, right? If it's like it's, if the goal is to drive efficiency, right? There's many other ways to drive efficiency. You know. So I think that's uh, you know I think one of the things that we 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 have a very unique set of data that we have is since we are a social media platform, so we actually have a lot of social uh, interaction platforms. So we could use those data to train the chatbot, right? So as 
uh, Marco already said that you chatbot don't work out of the box. You have to have good data to train it with. So with those data that we have, with every agent to customer interaction, um, we could use those to train the chatbot, right? And then we can and then we can actually use that to as a front line, uh, you know, uh, answer. Basically, they could replace the tier one agents, right? Who may be doing very repetitive work. And then they actually could go on to do more interesting work. For example, answering new questions that haven't been answered before, right? Which actually is, is more motivating and interesting for the support agent too, right? Rather than having them answer the same question a hundred times, they can actually answer new and different questions and they actually learn. So actually what we find is that like agent satisfaction also goes up rather than just you know, satisfying your customer and giving them a better experience. So it's actually win-win for, for, for both the customer and the brand. So uh, from an Oracle standpoint, we bring all those pieces uh, that, that was talked about, whether it's artificial intelligence and you know, the textbook definition is ultimately you know, for machines to behave like humans as it relates to voice recognition, visual perception, uh, language processing, and, and the like, and machine learning for the machine to learn in an unsupervised uh, environment, allow the machine to learn based on experiences. So the various approaches, but ultimately when it comes to delivering the business solution, we take all of those pieces in, but shield that complexity from a business user, whether it's a marketing user or whether it's a commerce user, and also blend that with you know, the volumes, the, the, the trove of data that I, that I was talking about, right from the get-go, both from the third-party data, you know, the, the 700 plus trillion uh, uh, data elements on a monthly basis and 5 billion profiles, that data plus first-party data, the data that exists in your CRM or, or commerce system and real-time clickstream analysis, bring all of that together and shield the end user from the complexity of all this for the end user, the business user having the ability to dial up or dial down programs so we have various offerings when it comes to AI. The first one out of the gate is AI offers, making highly customized offers at the point of, of customer contact. So your offer could, we may both be going to the same destination, let's say one of us, you know, both of us uh, skiers, let's say. One, based on the data collected through Oracle Data Cloud, one might have a customized offer for a helmet, and the other might have actually a customized offer for a ski rental, knowing that you know, his or her skis were due for replacement or they were checking prices for excess baggage online in order to make a decision whether to carry the skis or to rent the skis. So that type of personalized offers coming in as a consequence of AI uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a commerce platform. So AI offers is one, AI actions uh, is another one. Then if you go further back uh, into, the, into, the, uh, into the enterprise, so the closest uh, to the customer touch points are the two examples that I talked about, and almost by extension, you know, things that do impact customer experience. So those ancillary business processes, adjunct business processes that go from front-end customer touch points to the middle office, maybe contracting, maybe supply chain. I was reading the other day that uh, Amazon is actually having is designing for predictive shipping. So even before you place an order, let's say you, based on the algorithms and the, and, the, and, the, and the data that they have, you run out of toothpaste, let's say, on Monday. Even if you hadn't placed an order for a toothpaste, you'd have a toothpaste delivered at your doorstep on, on, on a Sunday or, or, or a Saturday. So predictive shipping. So 
going back, you know, those adjunct business processes that do impact customer experience like supply chain and then other business processes like ERP and HCM. So we are approaching it from an Oracle standpoint across the enterprise, starting with customer touch points first and working backwards off of that same common AI platform. You know, when you think about it, how CRM has evolved. I mean, you think back to like the late 90s, think about Bob and Goldmine and the various CRMs that existed at that time. If you, if you form an image in your head of what that was then, it's basically a screen full of text input boxes. That's what it was, right? And early Siebel was like that too. Just input, 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 input. And so CRM has traditionally been a very input heavy system, but one of the one of the sort of knockdown effects of all of this artificial intelligence that we're starting to add, not just us, I mean, to Salesforce, you, Microsoft guys are doing some of the same stuff too, is as, first of all, I keep saying it, but the critical mass of cloud, it's not just about CRM itself, it's also about the fact that companies are moving to Office 365 and to Gmail. And so more and more of their data is going into cloud and cloud accessible spots. And that allows us to automate a lot of the data entry that would otherwise have to have been done manually. And so you'll see more of like contact auto creation from your email or detection of buying signs and things like that from your email, which is something that we do, it's called Opportunity Insights. Uh, you'll see more information filled in, you'll see more predictive forecasting and stuff like that. So a lot of these things that have traditionally been very manual, driven by a whole bunch of edit boxes on the screen, are suddenly going to start being filled in automatically from other data sources that you also have in the cloud that you've just connected together. And that's one way I think that AI is going to change CRM subtly, but quickly. Yeah, I think from our perspective, I think the point is well taken in terms of, you know, a lot of people always say that CRM is a system that if they put something into it, the users of CRM get very little out of it. That's been the classic criticism of CRM for such a long time. So the our view is, the way we are looking at AI from our perspective is, first we take a set of kind of core use cases and the business value and scope that we want to deliver to. So that's important, and that has to be immersive and available for the customers without a whole lot of work. So that's one part of it. The second one is we do that, and Microsoft at its core is a platform company. We do it in such a way that it's built like a platform. So if you want to go change it, if you want to go tweak it, if you want to go configure it, customize it, we'll do that. The, third, the second, kind of second pillar of that is whenever you have an app that's available, Insights are, you know, like everybody says, insights are worth pennies and the actions are where the real dollars are. Everything that we do, we want to surface it so that somebody can actually go do something about it. It's great to have an insight, but what if you can't do anything about it? In fact, better still, we actually tell you what you should perhaps be doing with this. And in quite a few times, as Marco was pointing out, we just do it ourselves as well. So I think that ability to take uh, insights and convert it to actions. Then the, uh, people were referring to Rajan, everybody was referring to like the data cloud and the power of data. You can't have good artificial intelligence if you don't have good data. And that's where bringing our office graph, bringing the professional graph and the signals which come from LinkedIn, and the graph where we have the core dynamics graph and starting to bring some of the consumer graph that we have through Bing uh, and the services underneath that, that can help us really have a good source of data. We've also went and done partnerships to get access to trillions of attributes of consumer and business data to be able to then derive signals. I'd say that's the other one. And the last one is platform, right? Because you can solve some problem, but you can't solve every problem. Uh, and you know, and I, I fully agree with that. And the adjunct cases which matter a lot. Once you have a platform, you can do all of that. So for example, uh, an elevator company can say, 
send me send a serviceman to fix the elevator before it breaks down, right? And you can start doing all of these very predictive type scenarios because of the fact that you control the entire end to end. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what was being said, especially with regards to the platform. SAP is the same thing, and it's kind of part of the platform, which then makes it accessible to various applications and all the use cases. I'm also glad we kind of moved a little bit away from focusing uh, on just the service and chatbot use case because uh, that's that's kind of uh, you know the sexy use case that that everybody likes to talk about, but the potential is so much bigger and. You've already heard some of some of those uh, predictive maintenance. By the way, it's really really huge, and um, so it's really it's it's cross sales service marketing commerce, and it's not it's part is automation, part is uh, prediction, part is uh, just uh, better decision making, right? Making recommendations, uh, um, you know, identifying untapped opportunities. And um, yeah, data sources are, are critical, as was, was mentioned, whether they're um, transactional, whether they're um, um, in, in the cloud outside of your organization. Another, um, I think, increasingly important uh, uh, data source will be uh, the whole IoT area, right? Um, that's also tied to predictive maintenance. So I think there are huge opportunities in, in, in that space. Um, because there's going to be a ton of a ton of data, and all of a sudden, you will not only have kind of uh, um, customer attributes or behavioral where they clicking on the web or where were they hovering over, what were they doing there, and combining it with transactional data. Now, all of a sudden, you you have information about how your customers are using your products, uh, which uh, makes a huge difference and will have a significant impact on on the quality of, of the learning and, and the outcomes. I think we have time for a question or two from the audience. Anybody have a question? Gosh, I think uh, you intimidated him with the, uh, the wig and the mustache. <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact is, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't question. each of you, if, if there are no other questions, why don't each of you just come yeah, down? There's one, one. We got a question. We got a question. Yeah, that Way back in the back. I'm wondering if and how vendors are working together. How, if, we're, how we're working together. How vendors are, if, if and when are working together, right? Are you, any of you guys working together? Yeah, after the session, we're going to have like a battle royale. <laughs> <laughs> When that Red Bull no, kicks in. I, I think, you know, th that's a fair question. And I think uh, there are definitely, even across the vendor base, there are clearly partnerships across the board. I mean, you guys have Yeah, so we do with Microsoft and LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, there's, the, there's partnerships across the board. I think, like, again, come back to platform, data, apps. And depending on, you know, you want to surface your insights perhaps in the right app. And if the right app for a specific job is. CRM, and then there are a few of these players who perhaps want to get data and, uh, and really partner across the board. And if somebody has access to a specific set of data, then we would want to partner with that to get access to that data. So I'd say those are the lines across which we would build this apart. Yeah, we talked about predictive uh, maintenance as an example. I mean, let's take a practical case of, say, an MRI machine in a, in a, in a hospital that based on the IoT data from the MRI machine is already giving out signals that the hospital administration does not even know about. 
those signal, uh, signals ultimately reach a central data store, and AI ultimately has determined that, you know, based on the trajectory, based on the signals we're getting, in about three weeks, this machine is going to break down. So $1 million asset not producing revenues for four or five days makes a material impact. MRI manufacturers, ABC, say GE or a, or, a, or a Philips or a whoever, IoT data going into the cloud, that coming into a field service technician that's on, say, an Oracle field service cloud or, or any field service cloud for, for that matter. So there's data elements moving from various vendors, not only software, but also software and, and process automation vendors. It could be a Honeywell, it could be an Aspen, it could be another process uh, manufacturing technology. So semantics, standardization, IoT frameworks, and multiple software uh, uh, pieces of integration, these all need to come together before we deliver, or in some cases already delivering on the promise of, of predictive maintenance. So when the service technician reaches that hospital, his kit is already filled up. The fulfillment will have taken place from a, from a supply chain fulfillment center based on the data that comes from IoT and AI and identifying the parts and shipping it to the to the uh, field service technician's place. So when he reaches at the uh, when he reaches the hospital, he's already going there with with the right set of part numbers, which usually is a problem. You show up, you don't have the part numbers come back. There's, you know you can avoid these situations, but in order to make this happen, we're talking about multiple companies, multiple pieces of data. You know, ultimately coming to uh, uh, to a central point in a standardized fashion. All right, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, we are. Really, we just ran out of time. But uh, let's give a big round of applause for all the panelists. Great. Great stuff. And uh, I guess we're on to the next sessions. I know uh, Volker is up next in this room, so you don't have to travel far at all. Good seeing you again. Quieter. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. They stay filled. Good time, Good time. Yeah, I need to rock that with my hands. You want to try this? I got a small head. No pictures. No pictures. I should take a picture of that. Thank you. All right, Michael. Good seeing you again. Yeah. And it's always good to see you again. Yeah. When is uh, Link? Link? Yeah. We actually have a local regional one. We don't have one. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, that's in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Global So you're going to them. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> well, I hope we see you soon. Some